0: Welcome to Voices, the EISA podcast, the space for cutting-edge research in the discipline of international relations, and the audible companion to EISA, the European International Studies Association. This podcast sets the stage for deeper insights into award-winning papers, books and theses, as much as it provides a room for the critical engagement with key concepts in political and sociological thought. Voices, the EISA podcast. Feeds your reading lists, makes cutting edge IR research audible. My name is Judith Koch. I'm a PhD student in international relations at the University of Sussex, and I'm the production manager of this podcast. Please welcome our today's host, Polly Pallister Wilkins, political geographer and associate professor at the University of Amsterdam, and board member of the EISA.
1: Welcome to the last podcast of the year. We'll be ending the year on perhaps a lighter note to discuss what are means in international relations. To answer this question, we are joined today by Oiga Bashpehlivan, the winner of this year's EISA Best Graduate Paper Award for Cocktails, Race, Sex and Enjoyment in the Reactionary Meanscape. Oiga Bajpechlivan is a final year PhD student in politics at the University of Bristol in the UK and the co-convener of the British International Studies Association Post-Structural Politics Working Group. His thesis, titled Meming Global Politics, Capital, Race and the State, looks at the newly emerging politics and political stakes of internet memes as media phenomena and interrogates how they interact with political structures such as capitalism, racism and state power. Beyond memes, Oiga's research also thinks through questions of enjoyment, affect, sexuality, desire, humour, and how silliness mediates its own form of politics. So, Oiga, to start with a very straightforward question, what is a meme?
2: uh all right, it's a straightforward or question for you. I've been trying to answer this question for the last five six years of my life uh I'm gonna give a like a theoretical answer first, like the definition that I give in my thesis and in my work, and then bit more empirical just a familiar example of what a meme is so The theoretical explanation that I give is memes are discursive and aesthetic media that circulate online and offline spaces through a collective, decentralized, productive process of repetition and mutation. Uh, They're often silly, humorous and playful pieces of media that refer to each other to the extent that they seem to have their own sort of communicative sensibility, their own language, their own modes of behavior. And they're sort of always in movement, and they are quite indeterminate. Whereby sort of like how they will mutate and where they will go and what will happen to them, and who with and with what groups it will resonate is never quite clear and quite difficult to predict. So they are funny images, sounds, phrases that are always in movement, always changes shapes, and they always refer to each other. And we see them online quite often.
1: Why, as IR scholars, do we uh-huh. do we need a theory or like a critical theory of
2: memes? It matters for several reasons, right? One is that we can see a very clear, tangible impact that they are having in what we call politics and global politics, right? So they they have be, are, they are becoming quite sort of tangible tools in political campaigns in public diplomacy of public diplomacies of various countries. They are a part of social movements like Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street and all that. And every single political moment and every single political event that's been happening over the last decade or so, it has been memed and talked about and discussed through this medium. So that's why it's important from a more instrumental sense, a bit more critical sense that I'm interested in, is that they are not just impacting politics they are not just impacting the thing that we call as politics but also they are and they have their own politics in the sense that as these things circulate as these things move as these things shape and change they give us an insight into the subjective sort of sensibilities structures of feeling uh behavioral patterns and sort of Emerging understandings that are shaping variety of different groups that produce things online and as they reflect these things they also have the possibility of shaping these understandings and sensibilities and structures of feeling as they circulate they reach people they allow to they allow for discourses and affective states to circulate so one that they're impacting politics. And two is that they are politics in the sense that they, they do make political subjects, they shape political subjects, and they they create the texture of politics in the sense of uh, shaping the possibility of politics to begin to so emotions and understandings and sensibilities. Um, so I think those two sort of are the primary reasons why we need to think about pol- uh, memes in a bit more critical sense. Uh, what do they reflect? And what does their circulation do to politics?
1: In your work, you talk of of a memescape. So what is an, a memescape?
2: I did not coin this word. It, it, it has been going around for a while. And I sort of took it and sort of tried to conceptualize it to fit the vision that I had about how to think about these things more than just these simple individual images that we go and see. And then we pass along and scroll and then they are not important anymore um i i I try to conceptualize the term memescape to move from seeing memes as these singular things that are posted online and shared and then they just disappear but that in the sort of aggregate uh coming together of memes as a new way of communicating and what coheres around this aggregate collection of memes that is people who do meme platforms who allow and structure their entire economy on the production and consumption of memes and um, people who make money out of posting and consuming memes and all so the, the, an entire ecology and an entire uh, culture and a space of interactions has emerged through the, the, project, the production circulation and consumption of memes and I use the memescape to, to designate and define that new space of post-interaction that we have. And the, the reason that I use the term, I, I use a understanding such as that, is that I argue that we need to look at the way and the, space, the specific spatial logic of this memescape, of this new space of interaction, how things move in it, what types of logics dominated, what types of ways of being and ways of interacting dominated in order to understand the actual impact that the emergence of this new form of media is having in global politics at large. So so that's pretty much the reason that why I use the term memescape. And the the suffix scape, it just sounds cool, and it existed before. I don't think it has a specific reason that I'm using it other than the fact that it has existed. And it's a cool way to talk about the larger circulation of memes. More than just circulation of one meme or a group of memes, but memes as a whole and what they do politically.
1: Yeah, because I mean, scape is it comes. I mean, it's been very much used in in political geography to sort of talk about mm. the sort of disaggregated nature of you know multi sided multi-scalar ways in which power, yes. in however we want to think about it, um, comes to be enacted, performed.
2: Arjun Appadurai uses it right so it talks about media scapes yeah. and sort of financial scapes and all that. i think i i got to that point after i started engaging with the term meme scape so i didn't start from a paradigm and then got the meme scape i said meme scape and i oh wait that guy also used the same thing with the same way that i was using it what a lovely coincidence but it does it does the same purposes that it doesn't it does it it's, we're trying to take the idea of space out of the the um, the more grounded territorial understanding that we have in IR in traditional mainstream IR and to a more of, of understanding of spaces as spaces of relation uh, relationships where new possibilities and new movements arise so. As memes come together, they create a new space, which is a memescape, because they create new possibilities of relation between different forms of elements, including subjects, objects, effects, discourses, etc. Uh, that's sort of where the concept comes from.
1: I, I mean, I I get very excited talking about scapes over a, a Monday morning as someone who's worked on board escapes. So it's like. A-
2: Oh, <laughs> borderscapes! I love. Oh, it's have you read the Borders method book? Of course. Isn't it brilliant? Isn't it? I just read it like weeks ago. Was,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's not nerd out. Okay, <laughs> international relations um, as a discipline has started to question what the international is in international relations, right? So. For instance, what do we mean by international when we say international relations? It's maybe not actually that obvious an answer. And in fact, our theme for 2024's Pan-European Conference in Lille is searching for international relations. So with this in mind, what does the international look like when viewed from or through the memescape? And can we find international relations in the memescape?
2: Yes. So it's a great question. And the way that I get to international from the memescape is sort of a methodological question, right? So when I started writing about memes for my master's thesis all the way back, I was like, okay, so I have the memescape, this new space of interaction. What does it do to global politics? What what how does it encounter this thing that we call global politics? And sort of the, the basic idea that emerged is that um, if I want to think about how this new place, space of interaction is shaping um, politics at large and global politics at large, then there needs to be another space, another Uh, site of politics that it interacts with and engages with and encounters that creates new political possibilities. Because usually politics happens when two different spaces and spatial logics come together and there's a tension, there's there's new possibilities that arise from the encounter. So I have MemeScape and then my second instinct was, well, then what happens that makes possible something that we call international, which is A world that is made out of different nations, different subjects with different feelings about those nations, different understandings of what this world that is structured around international nations is and should be, what types of things should move and what types of things should not move in this particular space that we call the international what I came to sort of the this the, the specific idea that I came to and I sort of took this from both like critical border theorists and Arbor J. Walker and all postmodern sort of post structuralist IR theorists as well as sort of like my little geeky Deleuzean side that I try to suppress because everyone hates it, but I'm I'm going full into it. I will never stop. Uh and Deleuze and guitar they have this concept of stranded and smooth spaces. Striated space is a space that is Segmented, structured, determined where the movement of things are at least tried to be stable and previously determined and which have specific hierarchical logics. So things like states, things like cities, things like, you know, households, they, all, they usually have a very specific structure to them. What role, who, what role is played by what, where things can go, where things should go, it's always pretty much determined. So I took that concept and I sort of expanded it to think about international relations. And the idea came that the international is a striated spatial arrangement that works through continuous performing of segmentation, differentiation, um, and organization of the world according to a general code of which is production of an international world. This idea is about nations and borders and who should be in a nation, but also more economic senses, capital accumulation, right? Relations of domination and exploitation of accumulation, sort of a discontinuous production of differences and hierarchies based around stabilized understandings of value and worth. That's what I argue, what can we call the international as a political space. Then the question becomes, what does the memescape do and when it encounters the international? So that's where the, the theoretical sort of impetus of the, the thesis comes from and, uh, and the questions and the papers that I've been writing
1: As you've been talking about uh, Deleuze and Guattari and as you say uh, memes then operate in this smooth space but they can also be involved in, in the reproduction of a striated space Could you maybe give us some examples about how this works? So I'm thinking maybe about the reactionary outright memes that you discuss, right, with their politics of race, uh, white supremacy, misogyny, homophobia, um, as well as more the sort of the funny memes also that kind of poke fun at the sort of hierarchies of first world, third world dichotomies Uh, can you sort of talk us through and give us some some examples of what this looks like this smooth and striated space
2: yes so um as i just talked about you know this this dichotomy between striated and smooth spaces the idea is that a striated space is a space that is determined and segmented and hierarchical and all that and then it sort of works through creating codes to a structure, a specific way of uh, organizing space. And then a smooth space, sort of in the example, is this idea that like spaces that are less pre-configured, a bit more open, a little bit more mobile, and where things sort of move smoothly, right? That they can connect with each other without any necessary predetermined routes, they can find new connections as they move indeterminately. There is no single path that any element should take or must take. Um, you know, the, a good dichotomy the that they use is between the city and the sea, right? So the city, you have to go from point A to, to point B. If you're gonna go from point A to point B, you have to follow the, the, the routes that have been set out by the government, the infrastructure, the traffic lights, people. There's always a segmented way that determines how you can get somewhere. Whereas in the sea, to go from point A to point B, you can take a lot more different routes, and you can encounter things that are way less determined and expected. There is a there's a there's an unexpectedness to the sea. So that's the example that Beleza and Guitar used to describe smooth and straight spaces, and that's the example that I used to describe how the international works and how the international works in relation to the memescape right so the memescape as i argue is a space where meaning and ideas and discourses circulate in ways that are less determined less clearly stable less easily discernible right we don't know where a meme will go a meme is different from a movie because a movie is made by someone clear and then there's a purpose to the movie which is to to be watched you know and then to accumulate value for the shareholders for Hollywood you know like there's a very specific sense to what a movie as a, as a media does what a tv show as a media does what, a, what music as a media does whereas memes they have they take forms they shape but there's this smoothness to them there is this unpredictability to them that I think it works better with the idea of a smoothness. Could you give so us that, an so, example so
1: idea... of, of a meme that does this maybe that people might be familiar with?
2: Right so like I was thinking about is a good example is um Donald Trump, right? Uh, 2016 18 one, one day he wants to write coverage on a tweet instead he typos and writes cofefe, right? So he he writes something that is that doesn't that shouldn't have happened. It it gets it becomes taken by people and it starts circulating, right? And it starts circulating and it starts to take shapes and change as it interacts with the people that come to see it and encounter with it as this ridiculous word circulates someone takes it they make a meme out of it another person takes that meme and changes a bit and shapes it a little and makes it another meme and then that meme combines with another meme like i don't know the bernie sanders with the gloves meme i'm i don't know like i'm once again asking you to like drink coffee or something like that right so it changes it it, it it combines with that and then as it moves, someone else interprets it in a different way. They see it in a different perspective. So as as this thing circulates, it constantly moves in ways that are unpredicted because we don't know what will happen once someone encounters it. And the idea is that it's, it's not smooth just because That the way that it circulates, but also because these things are so playful and humorous, silly, absurd. There is no reason to be realistic. There is no reason to say the truth. There is no reason to be uh, clear about your intentions. You can be ironic. You can be sarcastic. So not only that these things move in a weird way, but also that they can articulate things in ways that are not clear, that do not necessarily obey any logic of on in any any rational logic of I'm telling the truth or I'm being serious or I'm saying something that is worth they can be anything, and they can move anything. Coffee can this silly term can become anything, and it can go anywhere, right? So that's what makes the memescape and how things move in the memescape a little bit less predictable than other media distributions that we have or other discourses that we can see in international relations, right? Uh, which is not that I'm not saying that Beamscape is the only way or is the only thing that is smooth or is the only way that these things works. But if we take international as a dominant space, then we have this new space that is a bit more different, a bit more challenging for us to grasp because it, the way that it moves is so uh, unpredictable. So the thing is I'm gonna get I'm getting to your question. So what happens when these three things encounter each other? The thing is, for a very long time, for the last 30 years um, of scholarship on these concepts, there has been this tendency to think that, yay, smooth space. That sounds awesome. That sounds great. Everything will be great with the smooth space, right? Like, uh, everything is open. Everything is lovely. Life will be great if we create these smooth spaces, if we invest in these smooth spaces as revolutionary, liberatory, emancipatory spaces. It doesn't always go like that. And sort of like the Lesing Guitar, sort of specifically at the end of their chapter on this, sort of specifically warn their readers saying that never believe that a smooth space will suffice to save us. That's like verbatim code. Um, and the idea is that for spaces like international or the state or whatever, like these right spaces, smooth spaces become a very useful site in production, right? So, you know, the cities a very segmented space. So the sea can become a site where you can do the illegal things, where you can do the smuggling, where you can put the tax havens and you can do the, th- right? So like, straight spaces and smooth spaces, they don't come in, they're not antagonistic necessarily. They can be antagonistic and they have been, for example, refugee boats, right? They they move in smooth space and they disrupt the the, the 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 necessary movement of how nations should work by escaping to the sea as a smooth space. Refugee boats disrupt, antagonize the international right, but it doesn't have to be like that. These things don't have to be that. You can you can also create means to reproduce the strided space, right? So that's where sort of movements like the alt right come in. So the alt right is a bit weird because while they're producing ideas that usually come with threaded spaces, hierarchical ideas about racism, and gender, and homophobia, and all that, um, they're also disrupting the international a bit. You know, the trolls and Donald Trump's election was very unexpected. Um, and sort of, I think what happens here is that the smooth space of the memescape allows the... what has been tried to be suppressed in the so-called respectable ideas of what international relations and development and progress should be, that's been the primary goal of specifically Western liberal governments is to like, we're moving past these things like racism and uh, misogyny and homophobia. We're trying to move past these things. And so the media spaces and political spaces have been tried to be rid of these things to create a post-racial, post-gendered world of perfect liberalism. So what happens is that when you when you suppress these underlying issues that you haven't solved and then you create a strided space that's supposed to be free of racism and all that stuff, these suppressed things find their expression in sites where... You can more easily express them right when you can be ironic and sarcastic you can be crazy you can hide behind anonymity you can hide behind the fact that these things are constantly moving moving and constantly in in mutation so there is no clear sense of what they are and what they mean so the smooth space becomes a very fundamentally easy space to find these dispositions that have been suppressed sort of come back again to, to find expression. So I think that's what's happening with how the alt-right is both working in the memescape, in the smoothness, while still reproducing the various hierarchies that have been first very violently imposed and structured through what we call a strided space.
1: That's so fascinating, and I this wasn't on my prepared set list of questions. But, when you were talking about this what I, I I suddenly sort of really became very clear to me was this sort of the smooth space of of the memescape is you know a space of potential right it it offers a particular potentiality, but then the 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 memes themselves which occur in these spaces, they kind of foster and develop sort of shared understandings, kind of shared languages. Sense of community, right? I mean, a sort of sense of belonging to, to such to people, even if you don't know who they are, right? Because you're you're speaking through memes on the internet, but it gives you a kind of sense of sort of yeah, shared language, a shared community. I mean, I can remember like at certain moments of you know big events like the coffee thing, right? I mean, you know, you get sort of caught up in the 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 like, and it's funny as you say, it's amusing, and you kind of remember, you remember world events through certain memes right through like oh it was so funny when i saw this meme so yeah this sort of sense of community across space right space and time
2: yes well that's the idea right? it, it, so memes so they're mostly humorous and playful sort of the specific affective charge right that they release when they are shared it's usually quite nice it makes you feel good so because they're they're fun they're interesting they're not like they're not going to change your entire world but there's something interesting that you see and then they, they they have this effective charge of wanting more of this being interested in this taking your interest and that sort of, that specific effective charge also comes with the possibility to just bring subjects together bring political subjects together in ways that you might not expect like if a meme resonates between very different people then they can they can start slowly forming a sense of a shared moment or a shared culture or or a shared space of interaction, right? So a shared moment would be exactly as I said, like the coffee moment. It creates the shared moment, right? It is in the, in the minds of a variety of people uh, as a moment that happened. Um, it also can bring together people that you might not expect to come together because of the fact that they they, they create an effective charge of togetherness. A very interesting paper that I love citing, because she's a lovely friend, Sama um, Khosravi Uriyat. So she has a really interesting paper where she looks at the, the effective alliances between the Western alt-right and the Farsi authoritarians. So, like, Farsi people in Iran, like, they resonate with the misogynistic and homophobic memes that, that are shared in the West, and even though they have seemingly completely different ideological views about good or bad, what is a good nation, what is a bad like? Obviously, Iran and the United States have massive political dissensus, right? But the memes and the fact that they 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 discharge a sensibility a resonate with the sensibilities of misogyny and homophobia that are that also cut across both of these countries. They allow a, a weird alt right community to come together despite how different they are so memes sort of allow this these coming togethers and these relationalities that you might not sort of expect before because they are small they can get everywhere they're like sand right they're small they can get anywhere and they are very effective in slowly implanting a sensibility on you let's say did I answer the question? I hope it did. Yeah, I
1: think so. I mean, I sort of see them as these sort of little mobile, effective
2: yes things little...
1: that, that, that yes. create these kind of shared understandings. But then, as you say, like bring together kind of communities. But in that, those communities are are still they're ex- exclusive communities in some senses, right? Because they coalesce around particular understandings. Yes. As you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this you like, know misogyny, homophobia, and then that's where the striated space, the production of the striated space,
2: comes yeah, from. so the idea is that what my, my idea is that like striated spaces leak into smooth spaces, smooth spaces leak into striated spaces, right like for a joke to be funny, you have to have some predetermined understandings of what why it is funny you wouldn't it, why why did the chicken cross the road joke wouldn't be funny if you don't know who what chickens are. And if, if where you're from doesn't have road infrastructure, right? Because that the joke would not make sense. So you need to have some stabilized understandings of what things are, from which a smooth space can move. Things always start from and they always have traces from and leaks from these already striated, stratified understandings of what things are, what is funny what a subject is. right? They come to this and their movement possibilities are opened, but that doesn't mean that everything becomes disembodied, everything becomes uh, free-flowing out of nowhere, which was the ideology of early 90s internet people that thought that that was going to happen. But that's not what happens. What happens is that we come to, to the internet, we come to the memescape as People with dispositions that have been implanted on us, or we have encountered and accumulated throughout years, and then once we get to this space, a new side of possibility opens. But how that possibility will unfold, right? That's where the politics happens, and that's why it can take different shapes. So it's not that this is a good space or a bad space, but it's the idea that the space provides new possibilities for connection and relation. But these connections and relations that are to be provided they still come from structures and politics and encounters from more straight political structures states and capitalism and all that stuff
1: so that's wow. why the
2: alt-right emerges right
1: no this is such a fascinating conversation i am my brain is just like doing so many things right ah, now i'm
2: so glad <laughs> i hope i hope good things
1: i mean who ever thought that the internet wasn't actually going to mirror existing non-internet society I I mean on really lovely little like uh, utopian people anyway now I I think now is a good time to to move on um to your award-winning paper right your award-winning paper entitled cocktails race sex and enjoyment in the reactionary memescape and I have one question about this, and it is, what is a cocktail?
2: Yes. Oh, OK. So cocktail is.
1: Well, <laughs> maybe, what it's is the... a cuck to start with? And then what That's is a, better a cuck- co- yeah, cocktail? Yeah, yeah. So
2: I'm going to start with what is a cuck, and then I'm going to explain what is a cocktail. So the cuck is um, it's a meme. It's a mimetic phrase, which means that it is a phrase that has been circulating in online spaces, specifically in reactionary spaces. For a while now, I would say since 2014, as its predominant mainstream circulation started. And it's a meme that's been circulating across reactionary figures to express a very particular uh, sentiment around masculinity and race and uh, enjoyment. So, what is a cuck? So, a cuck is, is, is a, the term, it is a shortened version of the medieval term cuckold which is quite shakespearean i think shakespeare literally uses it in one of his plays and it means a man whose wife cheats on him right it's very simple uh and it has circulated as as, as cuckold for a while uh, not 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 the most famous word around but it has been there and then it, it's, it's been picked up by internet people around 2010. Why it got picked up? Because it is also a very famous pornographic category in which the category is that um, a often white man who is humiliated in the video watches their wife or their girlfriend have sex with quite often a strong black man. So that's the setup of that category of erotic video and it's it's it got quite popular for whatever level reason that I don't want to get into it has um, psycho- psychoanalysts can talk about that I don't want to talk about that I and mean, I do but and then so as it became popular right the term also started to become a meme quick slowly where it started to refer to a very specific type of failed humiliated masculinity especially in relation to gender and race right because obviously the cock in the in those porn categories is a is a humiliated man who lets um, a woman and a black man to enjoy themselves while they are humiliated so that's where that's what a cock is and it's been circulating as a meme for a while people have been calling people libcucks as like liberal cocks or conservatives as in, like, bad conservatives, right? They're not good conservatives, they're cock conservatives. They are giving our nation away, ideas like that. People just they have been calling each other cocks for a while now online. Um, and my question was, what is this? Where is this coming from? Why? What is the logic behind this thing? Why does it resonate? The cocktail, it's a pun that they have been using, uh, as in, like, people who have been making these memes. Uh, it's a pun from the the the, the 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 TV show Ducktales, and I don't think it means anything other than the fact that it's just a pun to make fun of people. Uh, in, my, in my in the paper, there are various images of from the Ducktales TV show, but instead of Ducktales, the title reads Cocktails, and you you, you put the the faces of the people that you want to make fun of. Uh, so that's where the that's where the, that's where the term cock comes from, and that's where it, the title cocktails comes from and the, the 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 paper is about what 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 is this why is this such a resonant concept for reactionary figures and how does it move because memes are about movement and then how does it move where does it go what 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 is it what is this concept used for specifically and that's where the paper comes in do you want me to expand on this thing, like, where does yes, it come please. from? So, a cock. So, my my theorization of this is that the cock, right, is a meme that effectively and discursively stages a very specific relation to this thing that we can call enjoyment. And the idea is that this figure is a figure that defers or gives away the enjoyment that it sh- that should be theirs if we go by normative and expect understandings of how a monogamous relationship works. Right? So a man and a woman, they have sex and they 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 give enjoyment to each other. That's the idea of a monogamous relationship if we take a straight view of it, right? Um a cuck is a figure that fails this relationship and they defer the enjoyment that should have been theirs and especially in relation to the specific racialized category that it's coming from then this enjoyment is predominantly referred deferred to a racialized other so obviously there's a very specific sort of libidinal economy to what this concept resonates with and shows it is this idea of there's an enjoyment that's supposed to be and expected to be the The property of someone and now it is a property of someone else and it is either stolen or deferred by this person and then the paper becomes how does this distribution of enjoyment works and how does it move and where does it go and it goes I found to very different places it 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 starts from more personal issues but then it goes to more social issues such as relationships to video games and enjoyment, and then all the way to international relations, it becomes a question about whose country it is a country to enjoy, and uh, why is this enjoyment being taken away? So I look at how the meme and its distribution of enjoyment moves and circulates and takes shapes, take different shapes to create a common sense that for reactionary subjects there is something happening to our enjoyment uh, and the Kakmin becomes the way to mediate this anxiety and this sense that something is happening to our enjoyments.
1: That's so <clears throat> fascinating. Yeah, in terms of sort of reactionary politics on a sort of at a global level, right, that that something is occurring, something that, you know, it sort of, I suppose, maybe interlinks with, you know, fears about great replacement, like white genocide, these kinds of ideas, right? And I mean, especially if we're sort of talking about social reproduction and the social reproduction of particular people, i.e. like white folks. So like the, the social reproduction of white supremacy. I think this is fascinating and how this gets expressed then through, through memes, right? And through this notion of the, of the cocktail. Every time I say "Cocktail," I just want to go "ooh" at the end because. I did that for a
2: while, and I I stopped doing it because (laughs) I don't like myself when I do it. (laughs) I don't like the person that I become.
1: It's ruining Ducktales. (laughs) I love Ducktales as a. I have
2: never seen it. I am in a very weird age range where the show, neither the revival. Nor the original was playing on the TV when I was growing up.
1: Sad. It was one of my favorite cartoons. I have to say, it was Squidward Duck and his uh, huge vault of gold. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) back to uh, intellectual question, and this is about the number of scholars that you bring together. So you bring together a a huge number of scholars from a range of traditions. And lines of inquiry to try and make sense of of this cuck meme that you've you know you've you've been speaking um, to us about. So here you you, you bring in folks like Sadia Hartman, Slavoj Zizek, Jasper Pua, Cheryl Harris, Cynthia Weber, Rahul Rao, and I can understand. I mean, I've read the paper, but I also from you know just your description of of the history and and what this cocktail is doing, I can I can see why you bring all of these people together and why it's very important to marshal um this sort of real sort of fleet of thinkers and ideas. Um, but sort of can you tell our listeners what this plurality of voices brings to your analysis of the cuck meme?
2: Uh that's a really interesting I again it's it's a bit methodological in the sense that how I come to write th- things. And two it it is about the the essence of how a meme works because memes are eclectic. So if you want to write about eclectic things, you have to take from an Atlantic, eclectic range of thinkers because as these things move, they go and take different shapes and different... They, they, they start talking about different issues. So if they're becoming related to one issue, then you have to start drawing from those. And if, it's, if it goes and moves to a different issue, then you start to, so you have to start taking from other thinkers that deal with that issue. So if you want to trace the eclectic movement of a meme, you have to kind of like trace the and use and draw from an eclectic range of thinkers. So that's one answer. Second answer is that I, I when I write a thing, I kind of want to write something that I enjoy and I want to use people that I enjoy reading, and I draw from people that I have read before, so if something resonates with me, I'm like, oh, wait, this, I remember, like, you know, Jasbir Poor talking about this. Let me draw from, so instead of, like, starting from an idea and then be like, OK, let me, read, let me read the literature on this, I usually like, OK, this is interesting. What have I read before, and how I can use what I read before to push through, to bring together these ideas together? So I was like, well. So I want to talk about enjoyment. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about sexuality. I want to talk about sort of the queerness of this specific meme. Then I, who have I read about these things that excited me, that made me interested, that, that inspired me? And I was like, okay, Saidi Hartman. So Scenes of Subjection is a beautiful book about racialized enjoyment. How does that matter? Zizek, not a big fan, but... You know, he, he, he nails this enjoyment stuff. So you have to, like, ah, I kind of have to use him. Uh, also, Hartman uses him. I have a hilarious bit of trivia about Hartman and Zizek that I can talk about, but if you don't want me to, I'll tell you later.
1: Oh, no, come uh, on, tell us. You can't say okay. that and then not tell the listeners. I know.
2: Okay, you can cut this if you want. <laughs> Basically, uh, Saidi Hartman, Scenes of Subjection, two editions. There's a 90s edition and there's a recent edition that come out late. Like, So I read the original edition a couple of years ago when I started writing this thesis because I would want to talk about race and enjoyment. So I read the, the original version I and I, I took notes. So I very vividly remember Hartman saying that as Slavoj Zizek argues, enjoyment does this and this and this. Uh, obviously, in the 90s Zizek was a big name, right? You kind of like a bit more... politically uh, consistent. Jump to now, 2022, right? the book has a new edition. And I started reading it with a a reading group with some friends and my supervisor, Chris Rossdale. Shout out to Chris. I love you, Chris. Uh, (laughs) We started reading the book. And I noticed, wait a minute, where did the the mention of Zizek has gone? What happened is that the quote is still there. So Hartman still cites Zizek but doesn't mention him by name. So instead of being like, as Slavoj Zizek argues, blah, 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 she just gives the code and then cites him in the endnotes. And that change is fascinating to me. And it speaks so many to, it's, I'm, I am I want to find Hartman one day and I want to ask who authorized that and why. Because I find that hilarious. It's such, a, it's such a tiny change, but I'm just like fascinated by it. I'm just, that 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 choice had to be made
1: for sure that, I mean it's an act of erasure for yeah, yeah and it's such a per- i love it
2: it's so it's it's hilarious when i noticed it i laughed it's for a like. kind of
1: semi-epistemicide i like it
2: can you epistemicide zizek you know um i don't know anyway
1: so, i mean and i wouldn't have noticed that because i have only read one edition so i wouldn't i
2: yeah, yeah, yeah i was like wait a minute i very, very then i looked back and checked and cross-referenced and i'm like wait wow that decision has been made. I don't know if Hartman did it. I don't know if an editor suggested it. And then anyway, either way, brilliant.
1: The political so, <laughs> citation.
2: Very much so. It's very interesting. Um, and it's not that she removes him. It's just like doesn't mention the name in the text. Yeah. Just mention it in the anyway. Uh, okay. So why am I using all these authors? Well, th- what I wanted to do when I was starting this piece is that I because you know the idea that we just talked about is that smooth space is disembodied, but the the histories of encounter from history's past leak into it, move it, and shape it, right? So if the cock resonates, there has to be a more politically sort of structured reason as to why does this concept resonate so much. And my idea was that, well, we need to get back, we need to go back to some historical questions about the production of racialized um, affect racialized subjectivity as well as gendered subjectivity. So how do specific political structures and racialized structures distribute and create a relationship to enjoyment? And obviously, the perfect name to analyze this is Cydia Hartman, as well as people like Cheryl Harris, whose entire work is based around the idea of in racialized structures, such as white supremacy, how does enjoyment as a political force, a political factor, is deployed, used to create differences in uh, subjectivities, right? So, in, 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 in the subjection, Saidi Arkman talks about this idea that, that slavery and political, and sort of the, the, the slave economies were based on a specific understanding that was based around the idea that the world, as well as non-white bodies that inhabit the world were primarily properties to be enjoyed by the racialized subjects that held the properties so white subjects mostly Uh, so the idea is that whiteness as a specific historical category it came with an affective expectation of enjoyment of enjoying the world and this enjoyment sort of obviously that it started subjectively, but then then it became more and more about the idea of a nation. So whose nation it is to enjoy? Who should enjoy the land of the nation? Who should enjoy what happens in the nation? So then it's sort of as you start from a more property-based, more capitalist understanding of property and enjoyment, then you move towards an understanding of the land Whose land it is to enjoy, whose territory it is to enjoy. And obviously, these senses of enjoyment accumulate and they become the basis of culture and politics and society, right? Um, Which accumulates into an expectation of enjoyment that structures the, let's say, the affective or libidinal underside of whiteness as a political structure. Uh, As it does, we also see this exact same sort of thing happening through gender, right? Through masculinity, very similar to whiteness, there's a very specific understanding of masculinity in relation to property, and then in relation to land and territory and the nation, that it is it is the man's world, right, like, <laughs> it's like, it is a man's to enjoy, right? It's, 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 the masculinity is a very specific relationship to enjoyment, especially in relation to the uses of the feminine body, right? The, you know, the, you're my wife. I own you. I have the right to enjoy you. Right. Obviously, you know, civil rights movements and feminist movements, we we can argue that these relationships have to some extent have changed. But the obvious idea is that and that runs through Hartman's work and all the people that I've been studying is that these relationships with relation to masculinity and whiteness and enjoyment, the, their effective charge, their historical charge, has and has been persisting, right? That they are structuring the, 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 the sort of liberal underside of our societies, that the world mostly is for white masculine subjects to enjoy. So that's where Hartman then moves to Zizek, which is, and Zizek has this idea that for these structures to work, that for a structure of enjoyment, to work like that, that there needs to be a threat that this enjoyment will somehow be stolen. Because otherwise, that enjoyment doesn't really make sense. There needs to be a threat to secure it, right? Um, so, throughout history, we always see myths and fantasies and, and anxieties around the threat that our racialized enjoyment relation will somehow be stolen by others. That's where Zizek, who takes it from Lacan, all that stuff that he does, you know. Um, this idea of theft of enjoyment as a condition of possibility for various racial formations. So I take this idea of enjoyment as a right from Saidi Hartman and Cheryl Harris. I take the idea of theft of enjoyment from Zizek, and I and I think quite clearly the lines start to come together as to how it connects to the idea of the cuck, which then the cuck very I specifically then becomes a specific type of uh, resentment that is based around a, a sense, an idea or a myth that an enjoyment that used to belong to or should belong normatively or expectedly to white masculine subjects have been systematically been deferred or taken away by various racialized and gendered others. My argument is that if we start from these historical and theoretical texts about enjoyment and how enjoyment is a historical and a political structure, and then if we start thinking about the the, the persistent myths around the threat that this enjoyment will somehow be stolen by someone else, then we see quite clearly why this idea of the cuck as a meme has been circulating quite resonantly across uh, a wide range of reactionary subjects. Uh, so that's what. So that's how I use different authors to come in um, very quickly. And then, where does the queer theorists like Jasbir Puar and Cynthia Weber and Raul Grau they come in? Is that the the cock itself is a very qu- interesting figure because it is a queer figure in the sense that a cock doesn't enjoy the world in the way that they should. Right? A cock is. A man is supposed to be jealous or they should not be happy or they should enjoy a monogamous heteronormative relationship but the cock it obviously doesn't enjoy this. this they enjoy the world perversely right so they they have a queer relationship to the world <clears throat> which obviously then brings in questions about um expectations of heterosexuality and heteronormativity and how those things are changing and shaping as society changes obviously so then the cock becomes a very confusing figure from the schema because it becomes a figure that gives away their enjoyment and it becomes a, a false, a perverse, a queer figure that is difficult to understand and explain. Um, and that's what happens with the, <clears throat> with the cock meme insofar as it becomes a easy way to identify confusing political figures for reactionary subjects who, instead of, taking the enjoyment that they should be having they're supposedly giving away their enjoyment to others right so one meme that i explain, but that i that i look at is this this idea is that sweden as a country is somehow cucked because of their so-called lenient migration policies if you think sweden has lenient migration policies i don't know what to tell you anyway but that's what they think and the idea is that sweden is a cucked country because as a country, they're giving away the enjoyment that they should enjoy as a nation to other people, migrants and refugees and everyone else. And so that like Sweden as a nation becomes a cock because they are perversely and queerly enjoying, deferring the enjoyment that they should be having to other countries. So that's where the cock meme works really interestingly as a specific queer distribution in the sense that it it resonates because this idea of enjoyment as a right becomes perversely applied and becomes confusing when these reaction people start looking at the world around them wait a minute why are why are countries giving away their enjoyment why are people giving away the enjoyment that is supposed to be theirs this confusing sense that the world and the enjoyment distribution that the world had around them is changing becomes very easily identified through this very specific figure of the cuck. So the cuck meme becomes this resonant uh, structure through which a variety of anxieties around enjoyment can be mediated. And if you want to look at all these different, these these mediations and how they change and shift and move, then you need to look at an eclectic range of thinkers from Hartman to Zizek to Puar to Raul Rao, who I love uh, and all those.
1: That was brilliant. That was just, I mean, we just went on a journey of like critical thinking. That was fabulous. No, and I think this idea of sort of the notion that like Sweden is is cucked, right? It's also very, you know, very much speaks to, you know, a lot of this discourse that sexual and gender-based violence in places like Sweden and the and Western Europe more generally is perpetrated only and solely by, you know, Migrants of color, like, you know, I mean, especially sort of, you know, Muslim men um, and that, you know, that's very much been a resonant um, Discourse, mm-hmm. right? In, in, you know, in the last <clears throat> 10 years, especially right, since that's, the migration crisis, right? The, that's the idea, right? People so the people responsible for it.
2: Yeah. Right, that's the idea. right? So, so the nation has, the, the nation is supposed to have a very specific Social production system, right? Where you get married and then, you know, you get married to a white woman, you make white babies, you are happy, the country, the nation goes along, right? Like that's the idea. And then obviously the threat then becomes of this enjoyment relationship being changing. And obviously when other people come to the country, then this idea becomes that these other people have a perverse understanding of sexuality. And then they have the possibility of stealing The bodies of white women as enjoyment structures right because that's the 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 gendered idea of how enjoyment and sexuality is supposed to work and this has not this is not new like we saw this very clearly in the 50s in uh before the civil rights movement and in the 50s in the united states with like emmett till and the lynchings of emmett till and sort of the idea this and you know birth of a nation as a movie and the entire myth surrounding the, the threat of hypersexual black men as threats to the security of white women, right? Um, the interesting part that makes the cock such an interesting meme is that, that the, there's a bit of a shift in that white women are now seen as complicit and an active part. In the process of cucking, so the new figure of the feminist woman has emerged. Obviously, if you look at the fifties and the forties, the idea was more like our innocent women are being, you know, uh, being assaulted by hypersexual black men. It has changed a bit in the in the minds of these reactionary people. Is that now the feminine other is a threat insofar as they are not conspiring with. The, the immigrants and the and the black men and then because they are enjoying them more so they're like purposefully taking away the enjoyment that is supposed to be the white man's property right Um so it's just how the feminist movement has changed the visibility and the agency of, of of women and how this shift has also shaped how enjoyment is understood is quite interesting and now we have a new form of popular misogyny where you know women are these conspiring evil figures who are like you know sexually quite you know if you look at incel stuff the idea is that like women are sexually greedy right so the idea becomes that you know women they because they're sexually greedy they're taking away the enjoyment that is supposed to be ours and now they're having sex with people that they shouldn't have and that's a problem that's the idea that these reactionary memes Circulate,
1: yes, the Uh, the idea of the body count,
2: right? Things like that, and if you look at incels, and they, there's this whole ideology around, uh, you know, women as sort of like becoming degenerates, and now they're having sex with these people. That why are they having sex with these people? They should be having sex with us because we are nice men. We deserve enjoyment, right?
1: Yeah, you see those those, memes, right? You see those memes that that are put out by like the outright or the incels or the combination of the two, where they're sort of like the happy white heteronormative family where like they're both very conservatively dressed and they've got like these smiling babies with like 20 fingers yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah I, like, specific
2: enjoyments with. like yeah.
1: and then on the other side there's like the woman and like she's clearly like unhappy because she's like got a bottle of wine in her hand and like her t- like her tights are all ripped and she you know she's like dressed in a way that's suggesting she's sexually promiscuous and these, yeah these right. kinds of memes right is this is the kind of way that this gets represented
2: exactly and it's just it's fascinating i think the the idea is that it's fascinating to see how enjoyment is a massive part of the ways in which politics is structured and that I think I don't i i, I, I know that there are people and there will be people but enjoyment we haven't talked about as a, as a political factor as much in IR as a discipline as we should have and we, when we start looking at these things I and mean, we start looking at the libidinal and the affective politics around sexual enjoyment and enjoyment as a distribution that is not only related to the body but also to property, to the land, to territory to the nation, to the race Like we see that there's so many very fascinating patterns emerging around how do reactionary desires compose and emerge and like we see this pattern in so many. Like you, you immediately clocked an example of the the happy enjoy the happy family and the sad. It like, looks
1: miserable to me, to be honest. But you know, I'd much rather be the lady with a bottle of wine and no kids. I mean, I, I
2: I'm not. I'm still at. I'm I'm at a place where I still don't want it. I don't know what's going to happen in five years or ten years or twenty years. I'm 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 open to my enjoyment relationships to change. But right now, it also does not sound very fun. But to
1: <laughs> this maybe brings me on to it to a more yes, sort of yes. methodological question which mm-hmm. is your methodology for working with memes right how yes. do you find these memes how do you code them do you have a meme archive
2: like, i do unfortunately
1: a huge external hard drive just full of memes
2: i kind of do uh the question of methodology comes up over and over again, whenever I talk about this research, whenever I try to submit a paper about this research, whenever I am asked a question, because as media that is constantly in movement, ironic, humorous, doesn't make sense really. How do they? How do they research this? It doesn't really fit into the standards of research that we have. Um, you know, collect samples and then analyze and code and. And I think that trying to fit how to research a meme to these standards just defies the purpose of researching a meme. So I always say that like my methodology is like how a meme works, is that I have a meme methodology in that um, I follow where it takes me. So I usually start with something that takes my interest, something that piques my interest, piques my curiosity. So I'm like, oh, OK, this, this cock thing's been going around for a while. What is that? What what does it do? Why does why is it so resonant? So I start from there. And then I start going to different spaces, like 4chan and 8kun and Reddit and Facebook. And I just start moving around these spaces and see where they take me. So I, I find something interesting. Oh, there's a hyperlink. I click on hyperlink. Oh, that's interesting. What does this mean? I Google it. I, I look at it. I see what. Oh, that's interesting. So this is where it goes. So one, there's this process of following. And then as you follow, you collect things and you archive them, right? And then you have a massive amount of memes that you have been following. At the same time, you sort of do a little bit of ethnography in the sense of like, as you spend some time in these spaces, you sort of try to think about, okay, what are the patterns of behavior? What are the dominant ways of articulating things? What are the dominant ways of thinking about things that are circulating in these very spaces? So then I have a bit of ethnography observation, bit of following things and collecting things. And then as I do this, because I'm a nerd and specifically a theory nerd, I constantly think through, oh, okay, you know, Hartman talked about this idea. Oh, wait, this so that then I start combining these ideas that I have with a wider theoretical literature that I'm interested in that I want to talk about. Because to be honest, I'm researching to talk about the things that I'm interested in. Um so I combine those two those things to see connections, to re- to see relations, to see resonances. And then I have the research. So it's not, a, it's not mainstream in the sense that there is no like stabilized, strict understanding of this is the method. But it's more like see where things take you, combine things with eclectic things, use and see what types of patterns are emerging, and then put out your observations out there. Uh, my methodological inspiration, my methodological heroes are Jack Halberstam and um, Laurent Berlin who talk about this idea of the silly archive, which is archiving trivial things, unimportant things, things that seem silly, which are silly, and follow them and see what they can teach us. Uh, So I follow them quite a lot. I'm like, you know, they're my heroes in that sense. And then I use their methodology. But
1: but I think from our conversation, I mean, memes are not silly. I mean, they are silly at a at a, a basic level, right? But they're not silly, right? Because they really express and they speak to or they produce politics in a much wider sense, right? And politics that I think all IR scholars, hopefully, are interested in, concerned with, like developments which should, you know, which are which are obviously of of interest and concern to to yeah, international relations scholars, social scientists more generally, hum, you know, humanities scholars more generally, right? So they're not, they are silly, but they're not silly.
2: Yes. So this and they is should a, be
1: taken seriously.
2: Yes, so this is a good chance to plug my other ongoing research, which is on silliness in IR. Mm, I think as IRs, we take the world too seriously um, um, in the sense that obviously the world is a very grave place full of horrible things happening. Uh, But the world is also kind of a silly place. Things don't really make sense. And there's lots of silly things, especially these days in this, like, whatever, late capitalist culture of constant weird things that are produced, weird media. The world is becoming a very silly place, but I don't think that IR as a discipline has been catching up as well as it could have in the sense that even when we we say that we talk about silly things, like pop culture research, all that stuff. We still want to focus on the serious bits in the sense that I'm doing pop culture research, but, you know, war and violence and like the serious bits of pop culture because I'm a serious scholar. We don't talk about the ridiculous things that are very much creating the texture of everyday conversations and everyday interactions of today. Like Pattern
1: social life, as Balong would say.
2: Yeah, like we don't have, like it's like, even when we study pop culture, even when we study everyday interactions, we want to try to find the serious and the grave and the important. And I think when we try to do those, we miss how silliness itself, the ridiculous and stupid and silly things are actually making up a very significant portion of how we see the world, how we engage with the world, how we think about the world. So yes, you know, all, all is quiet in the Western front is a movie worthy of studying. But so is Finding Nemo and so is, you know, Schiss Creek or all those silly things that that don't we don't think of them as important things to study. But they do bring us interesting insights into how social structures or political structures are reproduced and thought about and can be interviewed into. That's what Halberstam does beautifully in The Career Art of Failure, which is my favorite book ever. And like that's sort of the, the sort of what I want to do with memes in that yes, they are silly. They might not be talking about the most important things in the world, but they actually, they, 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 they one, they make up the texture of life to such an extent that they are everywhere and we are constantly interacting with them, however silly they are. And two is that their silliness itself is the politics, that they make politics through the fact that they are so silly and unimportant looking and stupid. That they can talk about things and they can express desires and sentiments that you might not want to express if you want to be serious. Because if if a political figure, okay, Trump is a silly figure. so I'm not going to count Trump. But if Biden starts talking about cocks and stuff, that would be crazy. No one would that because that's not the language of politics. That's it's not serious. But because it's not serious, because it's silly, it can be talked about. And things like the cuck the resonance of the cuck can be talked about and circulated. And it's exactly the silliness that makes the politics there. And that's why I think we should be thinking about silliness a bit more in IR. Uh, and hopefully, well, that's
1: a manifesto. You've just like oh,
2: I, we're trying to publish it. We got we get one rejection so far. We're gonna get there. It's going to get published. I think, I mean, My silly manifest. To,
1: to work on multiple registers, right? There's the, there's the, you know, there's the silly. Um, there's the things which yes. are sort of unintentionally silly, or there's the the ways that people read seriousness into silliness. But then I think there's also silliness in very serious things too, right? And mm-hmm. I, I miss that. So I'm I thinking of like Anya Frank's work on kind of the way she's looked at the sort of absurdity and the, laughableness of of the work she's done around borders right I mean these are serious things these are moments of grave violence right that is being put in a grave (laughs) a violent reproduction of kind of global hierarchies happening at the sort of the on the bodies of migrants there are also moments of like of silliness of like this is just funny I mean it's just you know, so maybe classic, we, ne- we need cl- more of this, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. the classic of like um, the Carol Con, you know, the the yeah. reading the, the the ridiculousness and the silliness of like nuclear diplomacy talks, like yeah. nuclear yeah. arms. It's so f- hilarious as people are trying to be serious, right? There's yeah. also a lot of silliness in politics itself, like how these politicians are trying to like these days try to be seem cool and hip, and it's so ridiculous and so Justin Trudeau, <clears throat> right? Exactly, right. So that's actually very good. Fourth, but also silliness. It is a way to discriminate, right? Like this is silly. Why are we talking about this? This is not a, that. That's not important research. You are being silly. You are being ridiculous. You are being. You know, let's get serious. This is serious stuff. I don't want to talk about this imp- unimportant stuff that you're talking about. You know oh we should get serious we should talk about the things that i care about so so also seriousness and silliness also becomes a way a of disciplining, disciplining, yeah, an disciplining research right um infantilization thank you like you know the classic work that we're using is um cynthia Weber's, is like good girls bad girls of ir right so the idea of like infantilizing postmodern queer theory because you don't take it seriously right so you use silliness as a way to discipline uh what knowledges matter and what knowledges don't matter so i think it works in so many registers as a category through which i r can be talked about um and maybe we can one day uh, uh i am getting there uh, I, getting i'm there. Ex-
1: i'm excited about this i'm excited about it we have a, we a, have a, a silly a silly uh, manifesto for i r mm-hmm, for sure mm-hmm. I i would be i would be there I mean, yes, I have this. to laugh oh. about things. Otherwise, I'd. Cry I'll call away.
2: you later. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll call you later about it. We'll have a chat about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> and I, just my final question, and it's maybe a silly question, but I actually, Ooh. I mean, just to 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 do an annoying thing, I also think it's a serious question.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: do you have a favorite meme?
2: I have. I do. I prepare two answers to this question. One is an old meme, one is very recent. The old one, it is both has been going on for a long time, since twenty sixteen or so. And is kinda of popular, but also not super popular. So you might know or you might not know. And that's gonna be the test for your ability to know memes poly. Um,
1: no
2: one said it'd be a quiz. There's a quiz. Do you know that Jason Derlow fell down the stairs at the Met Gala meme? No? What? It is the funniest thing I I love every single time. okay, basically. Jason
1: Derulo. I do Derulo.
2: know what the Met Gala is, that I do know. Okay. Do you know Jason Derulo? Jason Derulo is a hip hop pop artist that does very basic like ha- club music. Do you know do you remember the song like Wiggle Wiggle Wiggle? No na 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 anyway, like just ridiculous <laughs> music like this. Uh, the trumpets. there you go okay, you're not that old Um, (laughs) anyway so Jason Derlo, this artist he fell down the stairs apparently at the Met Gala in 2015 and um, even if he fell or not, is not known but there's an image of Jason Derlo falling down a red Mm -hmm. group uh, stairs uh, with the headline Jason Derlo fell down the stairs at the Met Gala since that came out, I'm not kidding. Every single important event that's been happening, people have been posting that photo and saying, like, for example, Jason Derlo has fallen down the stairs at the 2025 presidential debate. Or Jason Derlo fell down the stairs at the container ship that clogged Suez Canal. Oh, yeah. And then they post that photo. And then they're like, Jason Derlo fell down the stairs at the Oscars. Or at, he fell down the stairs at... Um, yeah, 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 stuff like that. So it's just like every single stupid political stuff happens. Someone somewhere at some point posts that. And I'm not joking. I laugh every single time. I have never once, because you never expect it. You always forget that that meme exists until someone posts it. And then that is the yes, funniest image in the world. I mean, he really fell.
1: Like, he fell mm-hmm. head first.
2: Okay, but imagine seeing that photo and imagining that, happening in like the suez canal
1: but i'm also impressed with the the lack of passive voice in the headline because mm-hmm. i mean there's so much passive voice these days in headlines mm-hmm. it would be like but this is like he fell down the stairs he did. The it is his fault. It, It's his <laughs> jason Durlow, maybe something happened to him and like
2: yeah and like when you look at the meme on its own it's not that funny but when you least expect it, when a political event or a cultural event is happening, and when you see that on your Twitter feed, it 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 it, it cracks me every single time, and <laughs> I love it. It's hilarious. The second one is quite recent. is the it's the Josh Hutcherson edit. Have you seen that? I am too. I'm too. I'm I'm too online for this. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I thought
1: I was terminally online, and I'm like, I am, no.
2: but but I am I am I am I'm Gen Z online yeah you see on millennium online
1: so for me it's like it's like ben affleck like you know smoking outside looking sad. oh
2: that's a good one that's a good one so the josh hutcherson edit is josh hutcherson is an actor who played in the in the in the movie series hunger games
1: oh i do know that
2: yeah and he recently had friday he is in a movie called friday five Nights at Freddy's. but anyway not important he was a heartthrob in the mid twenties in two thousand tens when those when the Home Games movie was coming out, and he was a big he had a big fandom following in Tumblr. So obviously Tumblr people, as they do, they did edits edit videos of him being sexy with music, like photos of him and him looking sexy while like music playing. One apparently quite famous edit that happened around those times was this edit of him playing with the song uh, whistle song playing, which is like I can't do it. Na-na-na-na-na. Anyway. It was quite famous. For some reason, over the last month, I've been seeing this video every single day, a couple of times, because it became the new Rickroll. Ah, uh, so
1: I mean, I know what a Rickroll is. All
2: right, all right So basically, what's you need what's to explain
1: that to the listeners?
2: It's just basically you, when some you try to trick someone into watching a video. Oh, so Rick Astley. Rick Astley is never, never going to leave you We have song. <laughs> basically... There, it used to be a thing where, it still is, but basically you try to trick people into watching that video. So you would like send them a link saying that, oh my god, watch this, like watch this really important news that happened. That it will be that video. So this Hutchison edit somehow became the new recall over the last month. I've fallen for it every single time. And it's basically like there would be a TikTok or there would be a YouTube video where someone would be like, Oh my god guys, look what I found in my dog's like leg and then like like sh- the person would show the dog's leg and on the pod the video would start playing. Or it'd be like, Oh my god guys, I never noticed this scene in like this movie and then like in the middle of the scene the song would play. So it's been it's, it's it has been this new Rickroll that that's been catching me off guard for a while now. I'm sorry these news are not political. I just find them very funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the the recent one. But well, the Jason Derulo one is brilliant. It is the, the funniest thing in the world for me. And I will never not find it funny. Because you're adding on things, right? So you can just add more and more and make it funnier and funnier. That's what makes them such crazy things to follow and see what they do.
1: I mean, they're a very good metaphor. They're not a metaphor, but they're a good metaphor for, for knowledge production more generally, right? Yes. It's cumulative, and, at least it should be, if you're doing it. Yes, of course.
2: Fun. I mean, the meme concept of a meme comes from mimesis, right, which is like an anthropological concept of like human beings producing culture through copying and mutating on what they are doing. But for some reason, that got lost. That, that way of producing knowledge became lost, right? So memes actually somehow are a bit more, let's say, authentically human form of communication than the way of communication that we have today um you know um which is quite fascinating um so we see these things as new things but maybe they are as old as time and somehow because we have this spatial space of interaction that is different from the space of interaction that we have been imposed with or having that we started reproducing these ways of knowing and building things anyway that that, that become that became Philosophical for some reason. That's
1: a great description of what memes are.
2: Right? Yeah, um,
1: yeah they build they, and they move through space and time and the internet facilitates it, right? But they're similar to maybe like spoken words, like tales, stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. That they change as they um, move, you know, because a yeah, person yeah, yeah. adds it's something called, or like song or, you know.
2: I don't know who, but someone calls it like, someone called it postmodern folklore, which I mm-hmm. like quite a lot.
1: Well I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you for such a fascinating discussion about memes. I never thought that I could actually think so conceptually about memes. I never realized that memes were such a interesting uh, silly way of talking about the international so I want to thank you again, Oiga, for joining us today. Thank
2: you so much. I had such a lovely time.
1: And uh, everybody so should check out Oiga's um, work in the Review of International Studies. His work on the mm-hmm. MemeScape. Hopefully, mm-hmm. his paper on cocktails will be published at a at a outlet near you soon.
2: Yes, we're <laughs> trying. Somewhere. We're and, getting uh, there. <laughs> yeah,
1: people can people can uh, read more about how he marshals this amazing army of, of thinkers to to talk about yeah the cocktail thank you. and i did thank say you. i've never said the word cuck so many times in my life um so I thank you, you very you much never
2: will i hope you never will
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you guys thank I, you thank you so much
0: thank you for listening please find all information on today's interview guests and host in the show notes voices the eisa podcast is available on all established podcast platforms If you liked it, subscribe now. Voices, the EISA podcast, feeds your reading lists, makes cutting-edge IR research audible.